this week you're living on money pit money pit if your basement needs a pump or your place looks like a dump you're living a money pit money pit pick up the telephone fix up your home sweet home I call it Money Pit is presented by Caseda by Lutron and Aero Fastener. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we are here to help you with your projects. What are you working on? You got something going on in your apartment when you want to talk about some improvements you can make that are going to not like crush your security deposit, let you get all that money back at the end of the term? Do you want to update your house, plan a project for the spring, which is now thankfully not too far ahead? Those are all great things for us to chat about. We are here to help you. Help yourself first, though. Pick up the phone. Call us right now at one eight 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 Money Pit, or post your questions at the community page at moneypit.com. Coming up on today's show, every year, firefighters respond to more than a million home fires, but a home sprinkler system can take that number down dramatically. We're going to share how to know if a home sprinkler system is right for you. Plus, if you've ever thought about adding solar power to your home to reduce those electricity costs, did you know that not all of the panels deliver the same amount of electricity? We're going to share some of the differences that you need to know just ahead. And if you like homes that feel bigger than they are, there's a new trend in what's known as a broken or semi-open floor plan that's beginning to catch on. We'll top line those details. But first, we want to know what you've got going on so we can give you a hand. So what are you guys working on? Are you cooped up indoors and maybe working on some decorative stuff inside so that you can dream about being outside again? Or are you just simply dreaming about being outside? Whatever it is, we are here to lend a hand and make sure that your money pit is working for you. The number is one eight 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 Money Pit eight 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 six 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 three nine seven four. Let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? Joyce in Massachusetts, you've got the money pit. What can we do for you today? Uh, I have nine windows, and we had someone caulk the windows with the window sills because we live in Boston, and the and the cold air has been blowing in. I want to know how I can seal them up because it didn't do one iota thing for the gentleman caulking uh, the nine windows. Didn't do any good, huh? And he caulked them from the outside or from the inside? From the inside, because this is an apartment building. Um, we're on the seventh floor, and we have windows going on different a- angles. And so I, I'm trying to find out what what is the easiest way to prevent the cold from blowing in because it's unbearable. Okay, since you're on the seventh floor, I presume that you don't use your windows. You would never use your windows for emergency egress. Do any of them go to a fire escape or anything like that? No, no. Okay, so there's two things that you can do here. Um, one of which is you can use uh, shrink film. It's a clear plastic wrap that you cut to fit the size of the window. Mm-hmm. You attach it with a double face, clear double face tape that comes with it. And then you use your hair dryer to heat it and it becomes very taut and clear so it doesn't obstruct the view. What about weather stripping like weather felt? Well, that's all possible, but there's another option. And the reason I asked you if you needed to use your windows for egress is because I was going to recommend temporary weather stripping. Now, there's a caulk that's like a weather stripping sealant, but it's a temporary sealant, okay? So the way this works is you essentially caulk your windows shut. You caulk 
all the the seams in the window where they slide up and down with this clear temporary caulk. And then what happens is in the spring, you can actually grab the edge of this caulk and peel it right off. It comes off like a clear rubbery strip. It enables you to essentially seal your windows shut uh, in the winter and then restore them in the spring. Thank you very much, and I enjoy your program uh, immensely. All right, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. All right, going out to Tennessee, where Jack is dealing with some rust on a toilet. What is going on, dude? Well, I, I've got a toilet bowl problem with a stain that I'm unable to do anything with. Okay, what have you tried so far? Uh, that uh, I've only tried um, the normal thing with uh, Ajax or Comet, one of the scrubbing powders. What kind of stain is this? Is it like a rust stain? I think it is. Uh, the, the plumber said it was a rust stain. I had the tank. Re, uh, all the works in the tank. I was talking with him mm-hmm. about it, and he said it's a rust stain, and says never use Brillo or any of the uh, other scrubbing wires. And suggested a sanding pad. It's a soft pad, and I did uh, use one of those and got a tiny bit of results, but not what I'm looking for. All right. Well, he- here's a suggestion. First of all, you've got commercial products like CLR or LimeAway that can work, or you've got some sort of do-it-yourself products or mix-it-yourself products that you could put together. But the most important thing is to start with a dry bowl. So you want to turn the water off of the toilet and flush it and dry out that bowl because you're going to be able to get more of the cleaning product onto the surface. You can use lemon juice. That's an acidic-based rust remover, white vinegar, also works well. Uh, borax works well. You can mix borax with hot water, and that works uh, pretty well. And here, right from the Money Pit Engineering Department, uh, my crack engineering team tells me that they've had good success with Coca-Cola, and I'm sure they wouldn't be making that up. So, <laughs> again, any of these acid-based products can do a pretty good job of pulling that rust out of the toilet bowl, but you want to flush it and dry it first, so that it really is a chance to get to work. And in terms of the scrubbing pad you mentioned, you know, something like the Scotch-Brite pad is uh, is a good thing to use on that. It's not going to destroy the surface. Thank you so much for taking my call, and I'll get on it this afternoon. You're welcome, Jack. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. You are listening to the Money Pit. Call in your decor or model in question now to 888 Money Pit. 888 Money Pit is presented by Home Advisor. You can find out what it costs to do your home project before you hire a pro and instantly book one of Home Advisor's top rated pros for free. That number again is 1 888 Money Pit. Just ahead, there are a million and a half fires reported in the country every year, but there's one way that you can make sure that a fire never happens to your house or at least doesn't cause major damage. That's by investing in a home sprinkler system. We'll tell you how they work and if they're right for you after this. You live in a body pit. The Money Pit is presented by Caseta by Lutron Smart Lighting Control. You can set your lights to come on at dusk so your family always comes back to a well-lit home. Caseta by Lutron. Welcome home to peace of mind. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Love to hear what you're working on in your Money Pit. The number is one 888 Pit. presented by Home Advisor. 
fast and easy way to find the best home service pros in your area. You can read reviews and book appointments online all for free. Nancy in Massachusetts is dealing with a garage that's got other plans than closing. (laughs) What's going on there? I have a dilemma about what to do about the door. It's just not closing properly, and sometimes it doesn't even want to go up and down, never mind when it comes down, it wiggles left to right, left to right, till it gets to the bottom. This is on a garage door opener? Oh, oh yes. So yes. When, it, when it goes up and down, it shimmies in the, in the opening? Yes, and the closing. So generally, the rollers on the side of the garage door are failing when that occurs. They're ball-bearing rollers, and when they get stuck... Then, then they get sort of hung up on the way down, and that's what makes the door sort of vibrate uh, and puts a lot of resistance on it, too. And that may be the reason it's not closing all the way or closing evenly. It sounds like the door is pretty old, and you know your options are to replace all the hardware uh, and try to you know realign the door, get it working right, or just replace the door and the door opener. If it's if it's that old and that you know sort of rickety, I, I might lean towards just a replacement. The new doors today are actually a lot lighter than the old doors, and they work really smoothly. Um, I just put two on in the garage. Uh, I guess about uh, eight nine months ago now. I'm really happy with them, and I used to have really heavy hardboard doors on this garage. Now I have nice uh, factory painted steel doors that uh, look really good, really sharp, and just close flawlessly every single time. Well, this is one of those metal doors. It is? Okay. But it's an older metal door? Yeah. And I put bow shield um, on the tracks to try to get it to roll down properly. Yeah. But if the hardware has failed, even if you've lubricated the tracks, if the hardware has failed, it's not going to work right. So what would you recommend? A new door or just get somebody over to do the hardware? I'd get a new door and a new opener. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to put good money after bad. Exactly. (laughs) I I think... uh, you know, who knows if you could find the old hardware to match and everything. I'd just get a new door and new opener. I think it'd be worth it. Okay. Very good advice. I appreciate it very much. Thank you, Nancy. Good luck with that project. Heading over to Florida, where Peter has lost power in the bathroom. Peter, what's going on, and can you see what you're doing? Yeah, I had a uh, GFI go bad, and, and when I went to change it over, uh, for some reason, uh, I couldn't get any juice to the receptacle underneath the sink so i got juice to 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 where i put the new one in but uh, so i went down to home depot and listened to you folks all the time and uh, i got a new one and the gentleman over there told me to find the you know the hot wires go and put them on uh, on the receptacle where it says line and then the other the other two uh, hook up on the bottom of it peter do you know that the ground fault circuit worked properly and then it stopped working so it worked properly and it stopped working. Have you considered the fact that the ground fault circuit interrupter could be doing its job and then there could be a problem elsewhere in the circuit? Yeah, I didn't give a thought about that. No, I didn't. So I think that when ground fault circuit interrupters start to trip, people say, oh, it must be a bad circuit breaker. And they don't consider the fact that the circuit breaker is, in fact, doing its job, detecting a diversion of current to a ground source and tripping to prevent you from getting a shock. So the solution wouldn't be necessarily first to replace the ground fault. I would investigate further to see what exactly is happening and causing that to trip. I think, based on your description of of what you've done thus far, that this might be just a little bit above your skill set. And while we can respect the fact that you're doing uh, this on your own, when it comes to electricity, you want to get it right. And if you were to miswire that, 
And in fact, perhaps you, you know, there are different ways to hook up ground faults. And if you do it one way, you can get it to trip and not protect the rest of the circuit. So it would appear to be working correctly when in fact it wouldn't. So I, this is not the kind of thing I would recommend that you do yourself, Peter, with all due respect. I would definitely have an electrician look at this because I suspect that the ground fault is doing its thing. They rarely go bad. And if it's tripping, it's probably tripping because something is going on elsewhere in the circuit. The ground faults will cover everything that's on that circuit. So if you had, for example, a loose wire somewhere down the line and that was causing uh, some sort of an arcing condition, that could trigger the ground fault to go off. So contact an electrician. This is the kind of job that you should not do yourself because I want to make sure that uh, the problem is what you think it is and it gets properly fixed. Peter, thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Well, each year, fire departments respond to more than one and a half million fires. But the National Safety Council says only a fraction of Americans have taken any steps to improve their fire safety and protect themselves. Now, one way you can add a layer of protection is with a home fire sprinkler system. That, plus having working smoke alarms and a fire escape plan, is really the best way to stay protected from fire. Now, a lot of homeowners don't even know that fire sprinklers are an option for their home. Sprinklers detect high heat from a fire, and they put water on the flames as soon as the fire starts, and that limits the smoke. It limits the poisonous gases that a fire produces. Fire sprinklers also protect property and belongings. Now, if you're buying a home or you're moving to a new apartment, try to choose one with a fire sprinkler system if you can. If you're building a home or remodeling your existing home, consider having home fire sprinkler systems installed. You have to talk to your local fire department for some help. You can find a qualified home fire sprinkler installer, probably through the fire department, and they will help you figure out what's allowed, what's not allowed, how much you need. They're really going to put together a good quote for you and properly get the water to those sources and help you find out what that cost is and if it's feasible for you. Now, there's also a very common misconception that home fire sprinklers can trip unnecessarily like when you burn toast, but that's just not true. The technology is solid and it's a great idea to install them when you can. Jessica in Missouri is dealing with a floor that's sinking in on itself. What is going on over there? Hi, uh, I live in a 120-year-old house, and um, my kitchen floor has, like, uh, settled maybe um, in the middle. Um, Like, if everything is not, like, strapped to my walls, it will go towards the middle of my floor. Wow. Yeah, so I didn't know um, if you guys had any thoughts about um, a repair on that, if you think maybe it's like a... uh, a joist underneath there, or... Yeah, but is this on a basement or a crawl space, Jessica? No, it's dirt. It's dirt. So you can't you can't really get under it? Um, I have a crawl space that I can get underneath it, but it's on the opposite side of my house. Okay, so can you get down there and physically examine the beams to see what's going on? Uh, yes, but it would take, like, the size of a small child to get underneath <laughs> there. Okay. <laughs> so there lies another problem is how to see what's going on, where the best place would be to go in at to try to get, you know, that. Listen, I had I had to do a, a, a plumbing repair project on my own home in a crawl space that was about six inches taller than me flat on my back. So I know how tough it is to work in spaces like that. You got to kind of shimmy in uh, to get there. But the thing is, I am concerned with the sagging that somebody has a look at that those beams to make sure there's nothing structural going on, like a termite infestation or something of that nature. If it's just normal sagging, 
Well, I mean, there are some things that we can do from the top side to address that. One of which comes to mind is that you could use a floor leveling compound on this old floor. To do so, you're really talking about you know, the entire kitchen floor, including the cabinets, because to do it just in the middle, you know, might not be enough. You really have to go you know, wall to wall on this room. And because it's a kitchen, it becomes very, very complicated to do that. But the first thing is to evaluate the structure to make sure that there's nothing going on there. Uh, And then the second thing is to look for a solution above it. It's generally not possible to raise up a floor that's already sagged, especially in a really old house, because it took 120 years to get in that position. And you're just not going to bring it back up again. Sometimes you can reinforce it a little bit with some additional beaming and stiffen it up a bit. But generally, if you want to level it, you got to do that from the top side and not from the underside in an old house. Okay? Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your guys' time. You're very welcome. All right. Now we've got Mike in Iowa on the line who needs some help insulating a garage. Tell us about it. Hi. Uh, I have a three-and-a-half or a four-car, basically a four-car garage underneath a house. It's a ranch. The trusses, the floor, it has trusses in it, and uh, it's cold in there. It gets cold here in Iowa, and it stays, I don't know, 35, 45 degrees during the winter, even in the coldest day. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has batting insulation in it, but it's still cold, and, you know, our bedroom is above it. So I was thinking about putting some insulation in it, either in the blowing some, drilling the holes and blowing it in, or just doing it around the outside, the outer walls. Or am I just wasting my time trying to do any better? All right, so the garage ceiling, the walls between the garage and the house should already be insulated. So what you're asking is, can you add additional insulation to the exterior garage walls? Is that correct? Because that would be theoretically the only part of this garage that was not insulated. Correct. Well, the outer walls are concrete. So it's basically the ceiling I'm after because the cold air goes up to the rooms above the garage. So do you have any, Do you, the way the ceiling is configured, it's drywall right now? Correct. So there may not be any additional in room above that to add additional insulation. Like you mentioned blown in, if that ceiling was in, was built correctly, there's already insulation there. So you may not be able to add more to that. This might be a situation where you need to improve the heat more than add to the ceiling insulation because short of building it downward so that you have more depth, I don't see how you're going to add additional insulation if it's already insulated. Well, there's batting up there. I didn't know if it would uh, do any good to have them blow it in and pack it as tight as they can get it with uh, you know that blowing insulation. No, because insulation doesn't work on being packed as tight as possible. Insulation works on the principle of trapped air. And so if you overpack the insulation, it becomes less effective, not more effective. Right. All right. Well, that tells me I would have wasted my money if I had a, when I had somebody come out and blow it in. I know. It might not be the answer you want, but at least we didn't have you spending money on something that wasn't going to work, Mike. I hope that does help. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Up next, if you've ever thought about adding solar power to your home to help reduce those electricity costs, you might not have thought about the fact that not all of those panels will deliver the same amount of electricity. We're going to share some of the differences that you need to know after this. The 
Money Pit is presented by HomeAdvisor.com. Whether it's minor repairs or major remodels, leave it to HomeAdvisor to do the work. Check out HomeAdvisor.com. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Give us a call right now with your home improvement question. We're standing by to help you out at one eight 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 Money Pit. Let's get back to it. Leslie, who's next? Now we've got Joe in Michigan who's dealing with a gutter issue. Tell us what's going on. Hey, this this roof I need some help with. Uh, I bought the house about eight years ago. It's got a good roof on it, but but it appears that they tried to save some money and have somebody do it. And what the problem is is the shingles don't come out far enough from the top of the roof to get into the gutters. And there's a metal strip that goes along right at the bottom edge of the of the roof. And from what I see, it almost looks as though it's turned around backwards, as though if it was put in properly, it would extend out further to help get the water towards the gutters or into the gutters. Hmm. Okay. So what the mess I've got now is I've got all this water that's, that's hitting some spots in the gutter properly and others not, and I've tried to push the gutters and tap the gutters back up as far against the fascia as I can, and I'm still getting water through there. And it's frustrating. Well, the metal strip is throwing me a little bit. Now, typically, um, at the edge of the fascia, you'd have something called a drip edge, which is sort of like a, a right-angle piece of trim that goes over the front of the fascia and up under the roof, and it's at a 90-degree angle. Is that kind of what you're seeing or not? I, I had them install some aluminum over the fascia board, um, but I don't think that's what you're talking about. It's, it's, it is a channel of sorts, but it's, it's right on the top the lip of the roof. If I'm explaining this right, you know where where they first start putting the the shingles on and then they start moving up forward. It's like right right at that edge. There's a there's metal. Are the shingles resting on top of the metal? Yes. Regardless, the solution here is the same. What you need to do is to extend those roof shingles into the gutter. So because there's not a magic potion that will do that, the way to fix this is to get a flat bar. And that's a very uh, thin pry bar. And you're lifting up the edges of those shingles at the bottom of the roof edge. And you're going to slip underneath some flashing. And the flashing that you would use is probably just aluminum roll flashing, maybe 6-inch or 8-inch wide flashing. And the easiest way to do this is in small pieces because it becomes too hard to handle when you have a long piece. And you run the flashing up under the roof shingles, and you make sure it extends past the roof shingles and lays into the top of the gutters. So essentially what you're doing is creating a bridge to make up the distance between where the shingle ended and where it really should have ended, which is at the edge of the gutter. And this way, when the water comes down the roof, it will drop from the shingle to the flashing to the gutter. Does that make sense? Absolutely, and that that sounds like uh, something I can do. So I appreciate you, and we'll give that a shot. Yeah, good luck with that project. Well, if you're thinking about adding a solar energy system to your home to help reduce or possibly even eliminate your electricity bill, one of those decisions that you're going to have to make is which solar panel is right for you. Now, there's a lot of options out there, so we reached out to the experts at WholesaleSolar.com to learn how they differ. Well, first, panels are going to vary by the number of cells, which would be typically 60 or 72. Now, the difference really comes down to the dimensions, since panels that hold more cells are physically larger. Also, you want to consider cost per watt. Full-size panels typically deliver anywhere between 275 watts to 400 watts of output, but higher output doesn't always mean a better deal. Next, you're going to want to think about the reputation of the panel manufacturer. Now, that's important because these panels are designed to last 25 years or more, and you're going to want to be confident the manufacturer is going to be there with you the entire time. 
Now, along those same lines, you want to consider the warranty. Most are 25 years, but some can be 30 years. And one manufacturer even has a third-party company that backs the warranty the entire time so that in the unlikely event something happens to that first manufacturer, the third-party company would be there to handle those issues. Now, finally, you want to consider the panel efficiency, which basically tells you how good the panel is at converting sunlight into usable energy. This is particularly important if you have limited space for the panels on your roof. Higher efficiency panels are more expensive, but they deliver more power output per square foot of available space, and that's helpful when roof space is an issue. Now, if you'd like to learn more about adding a solar energy system to your home, you can visit wholesalesolar.com. They have a super informative solar info section on the website with videos, posts, even calculators, and they'll walk you through the entire process. Plus, they really know their stuff, and they're happy to chat with you directly about your own project. Yep, and right now, if you tell them you heard about WholesaleSolar.com on the Money Pit, they will ship your solar system to you for free. That website, again, is WholesaleSolar.com. Oh, now we've got Catherine from Colorado on the line. Not something we like to deal with. Pest control. What is going on with the mice and the rats? Uh, well, the downstairs in the house, it's not finished. Uh, so somehow they're getting in downstairs, and I see little drop-ins, um, different places. So what I've been using so far is the those green pellets of poison. But I've heard from a friend that there's new products out there, the ultrasonic plugins. I wanted to get information about that, if you would know. Yeah, I would skip that. I think that's kind of junk science. So uh, I would skip any of those ultrasonic plug-in things. What you want to do is a couple of things. First of all, you want to eliminate nesting areas. So around the area of your house, if you have firewood, trash cans, debris of any sort that's anywhere near the foundation, those are nesting areas for rodents. You eliminate those. Secondly, you plug up any openings in the outside walls of that house. Now, mice need something the size of about a quarter or even less to get in. So any openings should be should be plugged. Uh, inside the house, you want to make sure that there's no food for them. So a lot of times people will make mistakes by providing food when they don't realize they're doing it. For example, I had a friend who used to keep uh, her pet food in the garage, and it was a big you know, sack, 50-pound, whatever it was, bag of pet food. Never really even noticed that the mice had dug themselves a nice little front door for this that wasn't obvious, and they were just getting a big meal every single day from the pet food. So look for things like that where, where food is being left out for them. Moisture is also very attractive to rodents, so water that collects the foundation perimeter can bring them in. And inside the house, I think you're doing the right thing using uh, the baits and the poisons because that's, they're very effective with most of the, the baits today. You know, for example, the decon, uh, one uh, hit of that, so to speak, it takes them out. I mean, it's just one and done. So I think all those things together is what's going to control and reduce the rodent population around this house. Okay, Catherine? All right. Thanks so much for calling the Money Pit. Well, for the past several years, people both in new and in older homes have been taking on remodeling projects to create a more open floor plan. But is that open floor plan right for you? We're going to share the details after this. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Call us right now at one eight 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 Money Pit, presented by Home Advisor. Hey, are you thinking about new flooring or maybe picking up a new kitchen, a new bathroom? Are those projects in the plan for the year ahead? Home Advisor will instantly match you with the right pro for the job for free. Check them out at HomeAdvisor.com. Ben in Illinois is on the line and is having some issues with a water heater. Tell us what's going on. Over a period of time, my hot water stream would keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And finally got to the point where I turned the hot water on, it would just barely trickle. I disconnected the discharge pipe on the discharge side of the hot water heater and found that the lime had built up so bad in the pipe coming out of the top of the hot water heater that there was just a very tiny hole there. Right. At that point in time, didn't know what else to do. I just took a very large screwdriver and tapped that limestone out of there. Of course, that fell to the bottom of the hot water heater. It's been fine for about four and a half years. It's getting to the point where I'm going to have to do it again. And I've talked to retired plumbers in that, and they told me that it, what's causing that is a reaction between the copper pipe and the metal that is uh, on top of the hot water heater. And I was told that there was a, like a nipple that you screw on top of the hot water heater and then connect your copper pipe. My question is, what type of metal is that that goes between the copper pipe and the metal coupling on top of the hot water heater? Yeah, Ben, all you want to do is head to a plumbing supply house and ask for plastic-lined nipples. That actually is going to create the um, sort of the bimetal protection or insulation between uh, those two pipes, and that will stop that corrosive effect uh, that you're seeing, and of course, they'll stop the pipe from clogging as a result of that. All right. Well, I sure thank you for your time and your advice. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Would you love to have an open floor plan? Now, most people say yes. Most open floor plans consist of one large space or a great room, and that combines the kitchen, the dining, and the living areas, which all together provide a very refreshing open feel. Now, another benefit of an open floor plan is that it maximizes space, both visually and literally. You're not likely to wind up with an unused formal dining room, for example, or a living room that's only used when company's coming. You know, that wide open line of sight also provides a sort of sense of continuity, and that allows the furnishings and the style in your home to really shine. Now, realtors are seeing that most first- or second-time home buyers want that open-concept living. And even those who are living in more traditional, closed-up plan homes, they're looking for ways to remove walls and open things up, especially in smaller ranch or cape-style homes, which tend to have smaller rooms. So, all in all, if an open floor plan is a look you enjoy, it's a remodeling project that results in a desirable design that will no doubt add some value and interest in your home when it comes time to sell. All right, now we're talking to Georgia in Texas. We've got a question about tile flooring. How can we help you with your project? Uh, yes, I live in 
a house that my grandparents originally built back in 1950. The flooring in uh, in the kitchen is what I refer to as the old linoleum, a rubber top linoleum is what I thought, but it is crumbling, and someone at a tile place told me it is probably asbestos because of the age of it. So I have been told, yes, I can rip it up and it's okay, or no, don't mess with it and put something over it, uh, like a um, cement board, and then retile. So this tile floor is located where? In the kitchen. And how old is the tile floor? It was put in in 1950. Well, if you want to determine whether there's asbestos in it, you'd have to take a piece of tile and have it tested. But if it's okay. the original floor and you want to put a different floor over it, there's really no reason not to. I mean, laminate floor, for example, would be a good choice for a kitchen. And there's no reason you can't lay that right over the existing tile. Well, no, it is. It, it, it is literally cracking and crumbling. I mean, I trip over it every day and another new piece goes flying across the floor. Uh, again, uh, what I would do is I would probably not t- tell you not to tear it up. It's most likely simply vinyl tile. But if you want to be safe, just leave it in place and go ahead and floor right over it. Okay. Well, I wasn't sure, you know, the, the, the flooring underneath it, the wood underneath it is still good. So, you know, I just wasn't, you know, sure which way to go or how to go about it, you know. If I should go to the expense to put down the cement boarding and then put the, you know, on top of the floor, screw it down, and then, you know, put tile over on that. Well, why are you going to put the cement floor down? Are you going to put... You're going to put ceramic tile down? It'd be it'd be nice. Um, I grew up calling it uh, Mexican tile or tile that's made in Mexico. Oh, okay. And, it, you know, it's, it's heavy, and you, you've got to putty it, and you've got to work with it and stuff. Well, certainly, if you're going to do it that way, you could put the the uh, the board underneath the tile right on top of the floor. There's no reason you couldn't do that as well, okay? Okay. Thanks. All right. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Still to come, wood stoves are a great way to cut those heating costs if you install them safely. We're going to help a listener tackle that challenge next. You live in a body pit. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Give us a call right now with your home improvement question. The number is one eight eight Money Pit, presented by Home Advisor. You can get instantly matched with top-rated pros for any home project and book appointments online for free. Yeah, check them out today. Well, if new furniture is in the plan for spring 2019, it can be somewhat overwhelming. Lots of decisions to be made there, like whether or not you might go with leather or fabric. You know, leather, it's durable, but it's expensive. Fabric, beautiful, less expensive, but is it going to stand up to the kids jumping on it every day? Leslie is someone that knows the answers to those questions. She's got the tips to help you sort it out in today's edition of Leslie's Last Word. With your two boys, they definitely can stress test your furniture. Oh, my goodness. You have no idea. (laughs) You have every idea. You're just now a little bit removed from it, so you can actually have those nice things. Whereas I tried to, again, have nice things, and it was a poor choice at this current stage (laughs) in child development. But truly, guys, fabric is such a personal choice. I mean, there's so many options out there and so many things to consider when you're selecting a fabric that 
you know, aesthetics should be kind of the last thing you're considering, especially if you've got a young family. So think about it. You want to consider durability. You want to consider looks. But first, when you're thinking about durability, you want to know what's going to last, what's easy to clean. Now, leather is a great choice for that because it is very, very durable. But you have to consider the type, the price on it, what kind of furniture you're using it on, and weigh those things into how you're selecting that leather. A lot of those leather types are going to be easy to clean. A damp cloth usually is all that you're going to need to wipe that sofa or that chair or that cushion, whatever it might be down. It's super durable, and it can outlive a fabric by many years if you take care of it properly. That leather is going to give you a clean, sophisticated, and sometimes modern look. It can also be very classic and very traditional. It just depends on the frame and the type of a upholstery. Now, leather, however, can be easily scratched. And some people find that leather is super cold to the touch. Or when it's humid or warm out, your skin might stick to it. Those are some things that bother me about leather, but I actually really like the look of it. So I find that it's tolerable. You're also going to see that with leather, not a ton of colors out there as you would see with a fabric. True, lots of colors, lots of different degrees of agedness on a leather. So truly, you can personalize a leather look. Now, when it comes to fabric, you're looking at patterns, you're looking at colors, you're looking at textures, so much to consider when it comes to a fabric, but you have to think about what you're upholstering and who is sitting on it. Now, I've got two kids and a dog, so I can't have any fabric that has sort of a loop or a texture or some kind of raised threading to it because it's very easy to snag and get pulled. So I look for something more of smooth, very light texture, maybe a microfiber, something that's easily washable, cleanable. Sometimes I even look at commercial fabrics and sometimes sunbrella or outdoor fabrics that are easier to clean just because I know the degree of wear and tear. Also consider fabric slip covers. They can be more tailored, more loose. You can really create a customized look. Plus, a lot of them are washable. Um, on the downside, fabrics can get stained pretty easily. Some of them aren't as durable. You might tire of a pattern if it's something on trend. Lots to consider, lots of pros, lots of cons. Choose what's best for you, and you'll really make a good fit. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show coming up next time on the program. Does your house have annoying squeaks and bangs and thuds, even in the middle of the night when no one is awake? Well, we can promise you that your home is not haunted. All houses are going to make some noises. The trick, though, is figuring out where the sounds are coming from. We'll share those tips on the very next edition of The Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.